temperatures are rising, the snow is beginning to melt outside, and that means the Nebraska Prep Zone Report is back. I'm your host, Dylan Adams, joined once again this week by Stu Pospisil and Mike Patterson. And guys, I'm I'm still reeling after one of the craziest nights in NBA history. Where were you guys when when two guys dropped 60 in the same night? Asleep. <laughs> I'm not an NBA person. You guys I'm, missed I'm, that? I didn't I, I didn't, yeah, I, I'm not a big NBA guy either, but uh, <laughs> one of the guys played for the Timberwolves, right? They're kind of my. Yes. Yeah, it was the first time since 1978 that two guys went for 60 plus on the same night. Back then it was David Thompson and George Gervin. So it, it's been a while. Hey, I even missed the North Carolina of Wake Forest game last night. You know, after after watching about uh, eight games over the weekend, just in basketball and then some football, I don't care. Yeah, I, I understand that you took a, you took the Monday night off. I get that. So, well, I digress. Um, we're, well, this is not an NBA podcast. This is a Nebraska oh, baseball sports <laughs> podcast. So. You know, we we took a week off, guys, after that, you know, horrific snowstorm, 20, 30 below wind chills, knocked out pretty much all of our action and even hindered the uh, the inaugural Martin Luther King Classic over in Council Bluffs, along with uh, a weird NSAA bylaw. We're going to get to that later. Uh, we also had Stu, your latest columns about the shot clock implementation and changes coming, uh, likely coming to the Nebraska State Wrestling Championships. But we got to start with that Nebraska prep classic that you were at, Stu, for all eight of those games. Like you said, we touted Saturday night as probably the best girls doubleheader, doubleheader we're going to see until state. And for the most part, I think it lived up to the hype, right? Especially that second game. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, there was a nice sized crowd there again. You know, it was bitterly cold, but, you know, it, it was more than half full. And I think Creighton holds 22, 2300. So, you know, 1200. 1300 yeah. you know you had the number 15 team in the country coming in and you had you know, one of the top 20 30 uh in the class of 2024 Britt Prince so what wasn't to love about uh that matchup and yeah. you know the the first game um Millard West tried to stay in it uh was down two at the half and then got only one bucket to go in the third quarter the rest of their scoring came from the line and uh, Johnson, Iowa, is as good a team as I've seen come in, you know, be here in the state or come in. Um, you know, they've got a lot of pieces. They've got two for sure um, power six uh, kids moving on. You know, it looks like uh, there's more, you know, in the in the pipeline there. And Miller uh, West just could not hit from the outside in the second half, and they shut down the Gesser twins pretty good. Nora and Neely, and uh, you know Taylor Hanson, I think had eleven, and each of the Gesserts was in double digits too. But uh, that only gets you to fifty-one, and and Johnson put up uh, seventy-five. So I don't see how they don't win a third consecutive Iowa State title, and and. Again, they needed games. You know, you get you get to be that good, and your teams won't play you. And I, th this was a game that uh, got worked out over the the spring and summer. Uh, you know, kudos to Mark uh, Kruger from um, 
um, Millard West and Chad uh, uh, Jilek, uh, J or uh, yeah, J I L E K from uh, Johnstown, working with Tom Crable to get that put together, and then you know the and we had a couple good overtime games during that day, but uh, Millard North and Elkhorn North 66 63. Uh, Miller North hit a three with a second left to make it as close as it was, but uh, Miller North made 11 threes to counteract uh, Britt Prince, who's double double you don't see very often uh, 19 points, 11 assists, seven boards, and you know, with. Miller, Miller North tried the unusual strategy of double and sometimes shadowing a third on on Britt, and that's going to leave girls open teammates, and uh, for the most part, they connected. Yeah, it was one of the – probably the first time in a while that she didn't lead her team in scoring, Britt, but um, I believe it was Murphy, right, that led the team. She right. was hitting shots from outside, and and she's one a Colorado again. State recruit, so – Mike, are they like one, two in Class B scoring or thereabouts? Um, I'm doing the stats again this week, but I'm thinking, well, of course, Britt's number one in the whole state overall in scoring. And I think Murphy is not very far. Well, she's far behind Britt, but um, I know right. she's probably top five. So, um, yeah. Well, here's the thing with Britt. I think the last time she led every Class B category that we keep, six categories, six leaderships. I mean, that <laughs> talk about all yeah. around skill. And that doesn't even mention her defense. So, yeah, right. just a generational player. And we've talked about her a lot. And we're going to talk about her even more the rest of the season. Well, and it was a good showcase for her for, for Elkhorn North against a good class A team that, uh, you know, was number two versus number three in the top 10 overall. I'm not sure. Does Elkhorn North have another challenge between now and and say a state final against? Well, do they, they get play at Waverly? They play at Waverly. They play Norris. Um, they play Elkhorn South. That'll be their last Class A game. So um, realistically, their toughest tests are behind them. Yeah, and until they get to state in a possible rematch again against a, a Norris or a Waverly or Scott. you know Scott. You would yep. you would think that's still you got we gotta have that penciled in as the state final. Yep. Again. So uh Elkhorn North handled them easily the first time. We were both there for that. Uh if it comes down to that, we'll see if they can do it again. Well, and you would you would think that you know Kip Colony and Scott would have uh, you know maybe some hints on on what to do defensively, and maybe they saved a little bit. You know, especially once she caught fire in the third quarter of that game, you know, I would think that they would try and double team her and and maybe shadow with the third in the state final because right. they've got the athletes to do it, right? Like Miller North did. And as we saw that night, Brick can just take over a game. She did that in the third quarter. So, um, yeah. you know, and a lot she, of didn't, people, she, she a didn't lot shoot of nearly as well against Miller North with the balls, you know. Kind of rattling out. She was a little cold early. Uh, mm -hmm. Missed, had a three throw uh, go in and out, and then she barely caught the rim on the second one. I don't know what happened there. It was, yeah. it was like maybe a little frustration, yeah. but good second half for sure. She's only human, but uh, yeah, <laughs> like that said, she can take she can take over a game, and um, we'll see what happens with uh, 
with the Wolves the rest of the way. Yeah, I think that was good uh, for her to just see that different type of defense, right? To see that Class A defense. Um, it's it's something that she's probably going to face in, in college next year, not even just uh, as she finishes up her senior year here. So, Well, I um, hope she does a better job acting than Caitlin Clark did when the court <laughs> got stormed. Oh, boy. There we go. <laughs> I had to throw it in there sometime. I just saw the video and what a poor acting job. Well, oh, she, might, right. she might, might have a future in the NBA. Right. <laughs> yeah, the reaction on social media after that game is a lot different now, now that the uh, re reverse angle has has showed up on, on Twitter and, and other forms of social media. It's it's a little, little different angle for sure. We'll just <laughs> keep it at that. <laughs> but a flop. Yeah, it, it was. It was a little bit of a flail. And we're just we're just glad that she's not hurt, I guess. So we can move on from that. Well, it would have been her own flop that hurt her. <laughs> right. She cushioned, she cushioned the blow pretty well because she was spun, what, at least once? Yeah, yeah. So if our, if our listeners want to check that out, I'm sure they could find it on Twitter. To, uh, it's, it's floating around out there somewhere. So, but, you know, it, a couple weeks back, we had the big conversation about keeping the Wildcats at number one and, and PAT. They're there again for you this week if you want to go ahead and, and explain why you kept them up there. Right. Well, Stu mentioned how good that Johnston team is. They're ranked yes. 15th nationally. They're number one in Iowa in the biggest class. So they're uh, obviously better than probably any team here in Nebraska. So I wasn't going to penalize Millard West for that. And Unfortunately, Millard West and Elkhorn North aren't going to play each other this year. They're still very close. And uh, all we have is comparing scores of common opponents. And I, I don't really like to do that. But uh, when you do that, Millard West has the edge. And and uh, Elkhorn North still has to play Elkhorn South. Millard West handled them very easily twice. So I guess we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. But uh you know, there's no guarantee either of these teams. I have to like Elkhorn North's chances of going through undefeated more than uh, Millard West not losing again. They've got a tough game tonight against Lincoln Southwest. So we'll Ooh. see if the Wildcats can keep it going. Yeah, that will be a tough one. So, <clears throat> no, and I, I like that you say that, you know, you don't like to compare the the similar opponents, but it, it was a nice thing that they're both on a neutral floor. Um, both of those Miller North games, this one at Sokol for, for Elkhorn North. And then um, the other one was at the Metro tournament. Right. So. Right. Well, I, um, I, I've seen Miller North girls a couple of times. I had not seen them shoot the three the way they did against uh, Elkhorn North made 11 threes. Yeah. That's, there's... that's really hot shooting for sure. And, and Millard, North has, Millard North has a lot of depth. They could throw a lot of players out there and and do a lot of different things to try to, to limit Britt Prince. And so they weren't getting uh, worn down that way. So, yeah, I think Millard North did uh, pose a, a really strong challenge against Elkhorn North. But, uh, yeah, the Wolves did prevail. Yeah, Millard North played 11, I believe, that night. Yep. Wow. That's Pretty much par for the course. They really? play just about everybody. I think that's kind of the overarching theme of this this year's uh, you know high school basketball season. Boys and girls is a three point shooting. I think the latest stats that you posted, Stu, weren't there like five or six kids shooting over fifty percent from three? <laughs> like, yeah, it, I mean we're we're at the halfway point, right? 
Yeah, they're still shooting that well. Um, and, and it's not like they're only taking two or three a game. Some of these kids are taking four or five and mm. still getting at that high of a percentage. So really impressive. That is impressive. Over 50% from long range. Wow. Yeah. So, so no, and well, then let's we, talk a little bit about the first event of last week and, and yeah. the, uh, the uh, snow and cold uh, limited MLK classic over at uh, Council Bluffs Abraham Lincoln. I went over expecting to see three games that mattered and it ended up being one. Yeah. What, what happened was that, um, uh, JJ Isaacson, the council bluffs, Abraham Lincoln coach and Jeff Novotny, um, the AD over there, former Bellevue East cross country star of the around 1990, I think it was his graduation year. So familiar with him, they put together this nice event and then the snow and the cold and, uh, teams weren't coming in. So they tried to shuffle and reshuffle uh, to get games for Millard South and Millard North and Bellevue West. And the NSAA has a rule that once you set your schedule, you can't change it. Now, I would argue that you're setting the schedule that you're in a showcase event. Yes. And you have weather conditions the third party is making the decisions and not the school saying, okay, we're not, we're changing our schedule so that we play a lesser team rather than a good team. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, the class A athletic directors are not happy about what happened and will probably bring a proposal off the floor at the representative assembly to, um, to try and remedy that. Uh, and it only makes sense. You know, and we had, I remember, and I wrote about it uh, back in 2006, 2007, we had a couple of real sharpshooters. We had Wes Eichmeyer at uh, Fremont Bergen, who went over at Iowa State, uh, and then went to Colorado State, where he ended up with um, Jesse Carr, who was from Ainsworth, um, when Carter Nelson was just about two years old, just for reference. And... um, they wanted to match up Fremont Bergen and Ainsworth and what was an Omaha shootout down at CHI uh, in its early years. And it was a St. Louis promoter doing this. And the NSWA said, no, you can't add that game. Your schedule's locked already. And again, it's kind of like, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that wouldn't have happened now because I think the NSWA is a little more relaxed Sure. But not in this case. And I think the rule needs to change, especially when it, it's a, a decision of a third party and not the school or schools themselves. So we ended up only with Westside playing Rockford Auburn High School out of Illinois. Rockford doesn't even have, well, Illinois doesn't have the shot clock yet. Oh. That'll be our segue into the the next topic but so they were playing at the shot clock for a rare time and Westside uh was able um uh to have a nice win um I think it was 75 62 or something like that and uh you know Rockford had um I would say two go-to shooters and the other three were okay Westside really um you know you, you gotta cover all five um uh, you know, Caleb Benning was probably the the defensive specialist in the in the starting rotation, uh, and doesn't look to to score the way 
like having Stubblefield or CJ Mitchell or um or Ricky Lofton and and uh Advati will. But uh Westside's got a good game tonight. They've um uh, uh they're gonna host Miller North and that's a, a number two versus number three for us. Yeah, that is a good game. And then we have Thursday that we have Creighton Prep hosting Bell West. Is that correct? Uh Bell no Bell West goes Bell West. Right. Yeah, prep goes to Bellevue West. Okay. Yep, that's right. And prep is kind of our our big climber this week in the rankings. They're up to the top five. Number five. The, yep. And Josh Lukey, their coach, uh, got his 400th win. He's the dean of the Metro coaches, which kind of hard to you know fathom that because I still think of him as young, <laughs> uh, and um, you know he's class of ninety, so he's like fifty two now. Uh, but yeah. I mean, he's averaging about 20 wins a year. Yeah, I think you said just his 21st year this year, and that that was way faster to get to 400 than the other two guys that did it, right? Um, right. So. You know, I, I uh, actually, uh, what I did uh, the other day, because I was a little bored, but not bad, <laughs> uh, I looked at, I worked out percentages, and he's uh, winning a 73% clip. Mm. Oh my God. You know, you take <laughs> take a look at the list. I'm going to probably have to do a, a story on this at some point. Kyle Jurgens from Omaha Scut, 83%. Wow. Uh Eric Barons finished at uh Central at 82%, which for class A, that's just incredible. Yes. Uh, you know, Doug Goltz, the career leading uh wins, uh, uh career leader in wins down at Fall City Sacred Heart. 78 or 79 percent eric kessler over at saint francis and humphrey 77 percent um yeah jim weeks uh who just got number 600 last week 76 percent so you've got you know <laughs> just you win anything over in and we're talking high schools you know you can't control your lineup a lot of years the good coaches we have um about 90 through the years that have won more than two thirds of their games. That's just like an automatic 21 season, which is just not easy to do at all. No. So, yeah. No. And, you know, there were people who really doubted Josh, who never played varsity basketball prep. If, if, you know, what type of coach he'd be and, you know, with three state titles and he's been our coach of the year and, you know, it, and he's had good assistance to to help and and still does. He's had two spin off just recently. Nick Thompson's over at Elkhorn High and Andy King's at Elkhorn North, and their programs are are becoming very successful. So, you know, just hats off uh, to Josh. Good guy, easy to to work with. You know, in the media, and I actually had to live next door to him for nine months when he was in his aunt's house many <laughs> years ago and that was quite interesting but a good time dylan you mentioned uh prep playing at bellevue west uh marion is going to be playing at bellevue west before that game and oh. uh marion coach tom taverti who was a longtime coach at seward uh, he'll be going after career win number 500 on thursday night so there's another possible milestone coming up Wow. Yeah, I, I I saw that you mentioned that in your latest column, PAT, about um, the Sydney coach notching 300, and you said more were on the way. So right, right. that's one to watch there. 
Yep. Led by uh, Tiverti. Like I said, most of his wins came at Seward. They mm -hmm. strung together a hundred plus wins during their great uh, four year dynasty. So that was a little before your time here in Omaha, Dillon, but yeah, uh, yeah Tom Tiverti, another uh, really solid high school coach out there. So just a couple just quick, real quick guys. One, one more thing on that subject. Um, uh, with his next win, Eric Kessler, aforementioned from Humphrey St. Francis, he gets to 400. Mm. And you know, St. Francis, this is their last year before the Archdiocese reformats them with, with uh, Lindsay Holy Family and starts a uh, new school and I guess new tradition, new nickname. Really? So the, the uh, Lindsay Holy Family Bulldogs and Humphrey St. Francis Flyers will be... Uh, uh, just a, a memory uh, in the coming years. Yeah, that's uh, that's really hard to believe, Stu. I was up in Humphrey. Was it last year when three of the four teams right. from Humphrey High or Humphrey St. Francis were going to state? And to walk into that Humphrey St. Francis gym and see all those banners hanging and, and trophies in their trophy case and so much school pride there, that's really going to be a... a drastic change from what we've known as far as that school and and its athletic success over the years i don't know if that's right or not again i'm i'm not paying the bills there but you know holy family hasn't been on its own as a athletic team they've been with humphrey high again right. humphrey you got humphrey st francis or caddy corner buildings in in humphrey but humphrey went with uh holy family or holy family went with humphrey out of necessity you know i don't know why you just can't blend holy family into to saint francis mm -hmm. yeah i'm not exactly sure myself tons of history up there for sure it sounds like so well, both schools have history but again uh holy family hasn't had the numbers for years mm -hmm. you know so you know it's not like they're shutting down their athletic teams their standalone program's been gone for quite a while hmm. mull well, that over we have that to we have that to consider for for next year um but you know if we want to go into i said a couple quick notes here on the on the latest rankings from you guys we had papio south on the girls side they're the hottest team moving up to they went run range number six in class a they won six in a row but the boys side they have they have lost three in a row they're down to number eight on the, on the boys rankings yeah they're playing you know they're playing good teams they, they yes. took central to overtime they lost by five the next night to to west side um their first two losses were by two points apiece you know, the Papio South is a team that uh, for sure is going to be a state contender next year. I think they can get to state this year. I, this would be kind of a bonus year. But, um, yeah, Bryson Ball, uh, uh, you know, Jordy's uh, brother, uh, I think got a UNO offer mm. in the past week. And uh, But, you know, the Metro's tough. You've got to bring it every single night and uh, – you know, right now it looks like Bellevue West and Miller North are are the two teams you have to contend with. And uh, uh, Central, that was a good win uh, for the Eagles against Papio South. Uh, but they their strongest uh, teams, I think, come at the end of the year. I, I know they play prep at the end and maybe Miller North back-to-back. -back. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Talking about the Papio South girls, they've got an interesting dynamic. They're uh, the Titans that they have several volleyball players on the basketball team. And you just don't really see that a lot sure, these days because uh, they're busy playing club volleyball. And I know a lot of basketball coaches would like to see that, but uh, yeah, that's uh, the positive. Unfortunately, there are some big club tournaments coming up. And so Papio South will be without a few of their key players and they've got a really tough weekend coming up. They've got uh, a game Friday night at Millard North and they've got a game Saturday against Lincoln Northeast. And, um, you know, with not being at full strength, it's, it's going to be really tough for the Titans. So we'll see if they can kind of hunker down and, and survive this weekend. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're rolling they, after that one and three starts, like I said, six in a row. And then they had those two overtime wins. And I, I thought it was funny what happened in one of those games, the, official accidentally added an extra minute he, he yeah. played a, a college overtime <laughs> kind of interesting that high school is four minutes that's just sort mm -hmm. of a obtuse number you think it would be five but uh you know the officials erroneously put five on the clock when central was playing papio south for overtime and um andy gerlich's the uh papio south coach said he was so busy coaching his team he, he didn't even notice the five minutes and um they played for a little bit and then he glanced up at the clock and it still hadn't reached four so he knew something was screwy there and um i think the refs actually thought about taking a minute off to get them where they should have been but they just let them play it out and um you know really no harm no foul the titans were ahead by seven with still one minute left in overtime and they hung on and won so yeah, that, that win over uh, Central was one of the things that helped boost the Titans into that top 10 this week. And then, of course, I got a game, Mike. Where was it? Yeah. It was at uh, the black hole of Papio South. Sure enough. Well, then he can only fault uh, the um, the scorekeeper or the, the scoreboard operator and the officials. Yeah, I, and... I couldn't believe that somebody didn't catch that. But when the officials come over and put five on the clock, I mean, I guess you go along with that. But uh, yeah, that was kind of unusual that somebody didn't didn't catch that. So maybe even somebody from the central side. See, for the longest time, overtime was four min or uh, three minutes in high school. Mm -hmm. you know, well, I maybe, mean, was... maybe this will start a push toward five minutes. Who knows? There you go. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's, well, we're ranking shot clock, so yeah. for everybody. Great. Yep. <laughs> you know, one one other team I wanted to mention, Dylan, was Lincoln North Star. They were another big mover this week. Yeah. Uh, the Navigators defeated Lincoln Northeast, and they're 9-2. And, two, and um, that's just kind of the crazy business going on down in Lincoln this year where uh, there's just several good teams, and you don't know who's going to beat who on any given week. And I mentioned Lincoln Southwest going to be playing at Millard West tonight. They're another team that's in that mix, but uh, yeah, North star really crashed the party, went from unranked to number four, Papio South went from unranked to number eight and uh, Gretna East. We slipped them in at number 10 again, in part, they also defeated central. So uh, the Griffins in their very first season of play crashing that top 10. That's a heck of a story. Yep. Really is because because they look like they're very much a possibility to make state. Yeah, oh, I agree. And you look at their schedule, which is basically all Class A, and I mean their record is eight and five, but all five of those losses are against uh, tough Class A teams. So, 
you can't, uh, as I wrote a week or two ago, don't sleep on Gretna East. Yeah, good for the Griffins for sure. So, no, well, and they're I, sitting six in the wild card, and yeah, and you know that mean you know in Class B you don't have wild cards anymore. You you get home games for the district finals, but uh, yeah, given what's what's out there, and you know Class B is kind of thin overall, both boys and girls. Once you get past the top, uh, you know, you last time I remember a well, I know the only first year new school ever to get to the state tournament was Omaha Northwest uh, back in 72 when they were 10 and 10 kind of not even in the Metro conference yet. And they made the class A tourney. Mm -hmm. So this would be a similar feat if the Griffins could do that. And I'll be out there on Friday night to see that double header because I've got West side or excuse me, Omaha Westview boys and Gretna East boys, both number 10 in their respective classes. Yeah, Westview is holding on there to that number 10 spot on, on your side of things, Stu. Um, I had a quick note for you on, on your side of things. You know, Elijah Gaith, big weekend in Chicago uh, for the Miller North Mustangs. So they were playing without a shot clock over there then in Chicago. Is that, I, that's that right. right. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, and they were they lost to the number one team in Illinois by five. Yeah. Which I, I think is very good vindication for Nebraska basketball. Really is, uh, yeah. And then uh, they beat uh, Chaminade of St. Louis. That's yeah. like nine and seven, but a good weekend. We'll find out more about that uh, probably tonight. Uh, and yeah, Elijah, uh, who sh had struggled a little bit coming out of the, the holiday tourney, looks like he's got turned on. And, and, you know, when he's rolling with Derek Rollins and you get the monster boys hitting threes, they're very tough, but, uh, yeah, they're still, uh, sitting, you know, they didn't get a chance to, uh, play Bellevue West the second time at Metro because, uh, uh, they just went stone cold against, uh, Omaha central in the quarters. And so we're knocked out at that point, but, uh, yeah, it looks like it's Bellevue West Miller North. We'll see what West side does at home tonight. Very tough place to play. And Miller North has had some, uh, interesting games, they are very close. I remember the year that uh, I can't remember the the kid's name that uh, threw in the shot that went around the rim a couple times and knocked uh, Hunter Salas and St. Oh. Thomas and that Miller North bunch out when they were junior or sophomores oh. from the state tourney. So there's been a little bit of a house of horrors there for uh, Miller North at times. So I, I would think tonight the place is going to be rocking. Girls game should be good too. Yep. Yep. So yeah, we have about nine, what, nine, ten games left before district play. So maybe next week we can kind of start talking about who's on the bubble um as far as the the points. Getting the home games. Go. Yeah. So yeah, if, if we want to move on now to to your reactions too of of all classes kind of approving this shot clock, it looks like. I didn't think it came in this fast, to yeah. be honest. And again, I I was not in the forefront initially for um, implementation um, in part because I didn't, it, it is an expense and you have to have competent people. It's as critical, if not more critical than, than the, the scoreboard operator uh, because it changes possessions. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, again, we've had a few issues around Omaha this year, mostly with class A and we know where those are. Um, but 
you know, Class B adopted it uh, this year, and I think uh, there was the latitude that if you were in attorneys with Class B, the lower classes could opt to use it. And I, I just, I, I think they, I think people see the benefits of just a better flow game. Uh, you know, we're still, you know, we're still seeing some 29, 25 games without the shot clock. It doesn't necessarily improve scoring, but it just makes it more aesthetically pleasing, I guess, which there's just a better flow to the game. And yeah. and this is coming from the coaches, not necessarily the sports writers. What is still a little puzzling to me is the I, – I don't like the uh, new N1s and the resetting of the team fouls after every quarter because technically you can commit 16 fouls as a team and never put the other team on the foul line <laughs> during yeah. a game. And I don't think that's – you know. Yeah. That's a lot of fouls to 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 play with, and you know, I I think honestly it was to speed up the game. Uh, like, where do we have to go? Uh, you know, these games are, you know, we're going to have games that take less than an hour. You know, we're also charging people seven eight bucks to come, and you know, the game's over quickly. So. Well, I, I, I think in, I think another part of it, Stu, and I, I saw a story about this, was that uh, on the national front, people were, uh, the powers that be, were sort of afraid that there was too much physical play inside when players were shooting the one-and-one -one and battling for rebounds. But I, I miss that, the drama of the one-and-one, -and, -one, and especially late in games and, and things like that. But uh, you know, getting too. Getting back to the shot clock, I, I think I was, I became team shot clock years ago when I was covering a game that was tied at the end of regulation and, and one team won the tip and they basically held the ball for Ugh. almost the whole four minutes of overtime and they took a shot and they missed it. So then they went to the second overtime and they did the same thing and they missed the shot. So then we went to the third overtime, won the tip held it till the very end. And then they finally hit that last second shot. So that was kind of the game that I said, you know, I'm not sure this is exactly right, but uh, yeah, that kind of convinced me. I wouldn't mind seeing a shot clock out there. Yeah. We all have our little incident stories with, with certain coaches, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's good. Um, it's as fast as anything's ever gone through the trickle down yeah, you know, it took it took the wild card when we still had the wild card system and not the district final play in volleyball and basketball. It took forever for Class C and D to get into the wild card mode. Sure, and this has gone and it's going to be in three years, and I, I, I think it's good. I, I again, I think uh, you know, there's some some wiser minds out there now, and uh, you know it. And, and, you know, basketball's, we've got some numbers issues too, you know, as far as, mm -hmm. you know, people want to score. They Kids don't want to throw the ball around, pass it around and lose the ball and have it go down the other way. Uh, but, you know, girls, you've got wrestling, uh, which we'll touch on too after this, that, yeah. uh, you know, there's some defections from girls basketball to wrestling, but, um, there's just not a 
a lot of girls going out. I mean, the, the, the schools, the traditional basketball schools that uh, don't have JV teams because they don't have enough numbers like Beatrice and Fremont, you know, that's just unthinkable that yeah. the class A and class B teams don't have enough depth to have a JV to get these girls that, you know, are down the line on the bench experience court times. Yeah. Yep. And I, I and I know the NSAA is concerned about that. I I talked with John Dolliver on on Saturday, and you know again you've got the, you've got the volleyball club season influence that also works against basketball. It is tough. It is tough. Yeah. So if we want to segue into that, yeah, I think we have. Did you say in your column over eighteen hundred girls that picked up the sport almost eighteen hundred about seventeen fifty? Yeah, almost eighteen hundred have picked up the sport of of wrestling and. And now another division is really badly needed. And just so, yeah, if you just want to talk about what that's going to do um, to the well, NSAA championships. It's it's going to scrap the three-day format at CHI. And there's a couple moving parts because the NSAA still has to ratify, the board has to ratify it in April, but I, that's a done deal. Uh, the uh, contract with Mecca for CHI uh, comes up for renewal this year, which it's just a matter of working out the terms and the availability of the arena for, um, for wrestling, because there's no other place to take state wrestling with, with all the ancillaries and the, the, the space and the outside the arena for, um, uh, warmups and, and, uh, the logistics and the officials rooms and all that, the locker rooms. So it's going to stay at CHI. No, no qualms there by anybody. And then, it's do we have a separate two-day tourney for girls and keep the three days for boys or if you can't get uh the arena because you're basically taking creating out of the arena for the entire week of yes. state wrestling if you do that that um would um and this is the far more likely scenario is that you'll have in 25 We'll have Class A and Class B boys with Class A girls on Wednesday and Thursday, and TV and the Parade of Champions on Thursday night for the finals, and then B, C and D boys and Class B girls because the Class B girls be a lot of those C and D uh, boys schools funneling yeah. in. That would be uh, Friday and Saturday again. You know, Parade of Champions, Finals, TV on Saturday. So MPM would be showing wrestling in two chunks rather than one. And then the following year, unlike track, which I'm still working, trying to get them to modify their thoughts, uh, <laughs> that the classes would switch. And Class A and Class B with Girls A would be on the weekend and the lead-in would be the C and D boys and the B girls, so that they would rotate that. Yeah, that makes C sense, and and yeah, it does depend on uh, on Creighton's Big East schedule a little bit for sure, like you said, and and I think um, what you mentioned there is true about all of, all the logistics. I think state wrestling tournaments are a really unique event, sporting event, right? Because you have all these parents, all these kids showing up, but you really only have like what like at the most eight kids performing at one time on the mats well and, no you'd have 20 okay yeah 
Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, bad, bad math there. <laughs> and and it, it's not the competition per se; it's the fan demand. Yes, necessitating yeah. this because uh, you're already at capacity, and now you're going to add another class with well, let's see, sixteen times fourteen, two hundred twenty-four more. Um, uh, competitors, girl wrestlers, sure, 224, you know, what minimum five family members, you know, okay. so now you got another thousand to fit in, plus your 224 girls competing. So there's another 1200 you're trying to fit into a arena that's already jam packed for the semis and the finals. So, yeah, you know, grandma and grandpa want to be in there, aunt and uncle want to be in there, and okay. it's you know, how, how do you tell them no? So it, it's a uh, interesting problem to have. I'm not even sure Iowa has this issue. Um, sure. <laughs> and I think what they've done is they've, at least in the past, they've ran the girls on on maybe Tuesday and Wednesday. It used to be just Wednesday, and I think they wrestled three matches. I think they were at eight. But Iowa also only has three classes of boys wrestling, and maybe – we got to look at that too, because mm -hmm. I was, and I've argued about this for years. I always had much more wrestling tradition than Nebraska and their three classes. When you win a state title in Iowa, you've done something <laughs> in Nebraska. It still seems like it's coronation time because <laughs> you, you, the good wrestlers seldom want to face each other for a state title. So they go up or down in right. the weight classes because you got so many weight classes in the middle to to you know go up five pounds or down five pounds and then you throw up with four um uh, classes instead of three it to me it's not quite the same impact of a championship as it is in iowa and i don't know anybody who could argue against that no. Stu, i have a question for you um you know i've always heard that girls basketball numbers um, have kind of been hurt as far as more girls going out for volleyball because a lot of them didn't really like the physical contact involved in uh, basketball. But uh, how do you attribute just this explosion of numbers of girls wrestling? I mean, it's a sport that they didn't really grow up competing in, but uh, yet here's 1,750 girls that are taking part in this relatively we, new sport. You've seen more in the youth sector, in, in, in the youth clubs coming through. And, you know, you don't have many choices in winter. You've got basketball. you got bowling, which is a niche sport. By the way, you have Metro uh, bowling on Wednesday and Friday, Mike. So that's right. Uh, you can lace up your shoes. <laughs> you, you just don't have it's not like fall where you've got volleyball and softball and girls golf and cross country mm -hmm. and i think these these girls have been sitting idle and i don't i think it's more that you know there may be girls that don't like to run you know volleyball <laughs> it, it it's not constant i mean you you have a point and then you have a little 
you know, gathering, you win the point, you lose the point, you get huddle up and then you go back. So you've, it's not like you're running up and down a court for eight minutes at a time with a minute break and, and what have you. And I, I don't know. I don't, uh, I think there's just a lot of factors working against girls basketball that, uh, I, I, I'm not sure you can readily rectify and we may see more co-op teams is, you know, in, in the D schools, because there's just not the numbers. And it is scary when you only have 11 girls out on a, in a class A or class B program, if, you know, I mean, we, and that's not, that's, and again, that's good programs, consistent programs. It's not an Omaha Brian that, Hey, they've got 15 out this year trying to learn the game and, yeah. and sticking with it. Yeah, it, it really is a weird phenomenon because, yeah, we've seen this explosion, but for years and years and years, like you said, Stu, it really has just been basketball. <laughs> so now I think it, it must And just I don't be... know what else you put in there. I mean, what else do you put in the winter Yeah, as, as a girl's sport? And so it must just be something new to them that they they want to try to do. Hmm. And um, well, I, they're, I think... they're, Hey, there's scholarship money out there. Yeah, too. yeah, that's a great point, too. Yep. I'm, Maybe I'm, uh, we should start up Varsity Luge or something like that. <laughs> bobsledding. Yeah, bobsledding. <laughs> My late mother loved the luge and bobsledding, but I, I, I don't see where we could have a track here unless you converted like the slides at Funplex. Yeah. Go out to Mount Crescent and make a make a track out there or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, that'd be what, a few million dollars to create a luge track? No hey, I'm just thinking outside the box here. <laughs> I always like I, it, by I, the always, way. I always like the ski jumping. Remember that on Wide World of Sports? That was always a, a oh yeah, the opener, the yep. Yugoslavian. Yep, <laughs> thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And there's a generation that don't know what we're talking about, and they should because mm -hmm. Wide World of Sports was just a great anthology. I mean, you could. You'd get the Drake Relays and the World Powerlifting Championships with the Acapulco uh, cliff diving. Yep. Maybe in the same week. I didn't think we were going to talk Winter Olympics and why World of Sports today, but here we are. Well, <laughs> there you go. So, no, I think we can wrap it up for today, guys. Thank you for joining me again. Um, and we'll be back next week. I think we're going to continue to talk about well, we got a lot of state tournaments coming up, that's for sure, um, in the month of February. So high school sports fans, stick with us, and we'll be back again on the Nebraska Prep Zone Report.